And I was thinking about this today, even before seeing this. I was thinking about if somebody, you know, a rel say a relative passes away, and all of a sudden I've got money in my account that I've never had before, um, that maybe I knew it was coming at some point, maybe I had no idea it was coming, but all of a sudden I got this money, it's like, what do I do with this? I want it to grow, I want it to invest. Here it is. What is important to look for or think about when looking for an investment property? Mm. And I think we could do a whole episode on this too, but we probably could, but that's a, that's a great question. Yeah. All right, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, good. What are you right. teaching me today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what are you teaching me today? <laughs> this is exciting. Uh, everyone, we got a, we got an in-studio band. Yeah. Right. A big set, big celebration. Cause mm -hmm. now it's like the studio is here. This is our first recording in the studio. So there's Dustin Taylor. Yes. Welcome, yeah. Dustin. Welcome, Dustin. Yeah. So me and Dustin go way back, as you know. Yeah. Because we played in a band for a couple years. But yeah, for two years traveling around. And the usual. The usual. That's yeah, right. So you're going to listen to tonight. The usual. The usual. Yeah. Yeah. Who's playing tonight? The usual. The usual. Uh -huh. That's right. There is a restaurant here in town. It didn't last very long. Hmm. But the name of the restaurant was IDK. Yes. I don't know. Where ah where you want to eat tonight? That's so I weird. don't know. Yeah. Well, let's go there. You know, it didn't work out, but it was pretty clever. Yeah. At least at some level, it was kind of clever. Beamer loves that stuff. Our yeah. little brother Beamer for our listeners. Beamer loves that stuff. Like sleep in, right? Holiday in, and they got sleep in. Mm -hmm. He just loved that stuff. He'd always <laughs> point it out and be like, "Hey, what's up? Sleep in, holiday in. Oh, that, I like that." <laughs> <laughs> and if he likes something, you know, it, it, if he doesn't like something, there's no way he's going to play it up. <laughs> no. No. No, not at all. There's so many times to make the mistake of sharing exciting news with him. You just, you're not going to get the, oh, great job. Or you're just not going to get that from me. I was like, that's good to know. Because I took it personally for a while. <laughs> oh, you did? Well, before, you know. Because you emote that way. I like emote You that are way. the, man, if I even mention a pop quiz, you're like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're doing a we're doing a Q&A, a little mini Q&A. I've got three questions for you. One of them, we're going to be looking at some stuff. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Yeah. Dustin Taylor, question number one. All right. <laughs> All right. This comes from um, our commercial real estate market analysis from uh, Monrovia Broker. It says, Bo, I was thinking about what you said about a product type moving back. Would an event like COVID move markets in both directions? Industrial, because the demand for online purchase, the industrial pro pro product makes the market phase move backwards towards expansion. And similarly, the office and retail market to move toward recession. Does this make sense? <laughs> well, I think you're not really market analysis, but that was our market cycle episodes. We did a two-parter on market cycles. I yes. think that question is referring to market cycles. It is. So question one, you take you know, an event like COVID could absolutely make a product type in a particular market go one way or the other. Now see that negative one after nation? Yeah. That means that the, the previous quarter's report had them at five. The nation was at five and it moved back to four. Gotcha. So you okay. don't always have a situation where things go from one number to the next sequentially. Sometimes they can go backwards if something happens. Yeah. So if it goes back, you're just like, oh, it moved back a little bit, but it's going to, it's probably going to. Yeah. So think of it this way a river flows in one direction 
However, if you were to throw a stick of dynamite and it were to explode underwater, for a brief moment, it would be pushing some of that water back the other direction. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can knock a product type or a particular market back a few. But to your point, I would say that there's generally some kind of event that happened to cause that change in direction, and it would also um, be fairly short-lived. What COVID did to industrial is it sent people home, so e-commerce exploded. Yeah, We had something like 10 or 15 years of future demand happen in a matter of months. Mm. Well, what happens to industrial space when e-commerce just explodes is you need a tremendous amount more Mm -hmm. industrial space. And so COVID accelerated demand for industrial space, which would move the needle forward. Right. You know, mainly through because Amazon started contracting with developers to build these million square foot warehouses all over the United States, these distribution centers. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard a, a number the other day. You know how many leases or projects that Amazon has canceled in the last year? No. Like 65. Is that is that whoa? Is that big or is that not? Well, that's not a, a lot. That's a lot. Oh, that's a lot. So, what I think Amazon. <laughs> that's. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I just wasn't. <laughs> I think, I think what Amazon miscalculated was they ten fifteen years of future demand slammed into a couple months in COVID. Oh right. And then for a couple years that sustained and continued to grow a little bit. Well, when the world opened back up, the demand went back down to previous levels. And I don't think Amazon anticipated that. Right, yeah. So they couldn't build and occupy space fast enough. And when the demand kind of went back to where it was, Mm -hmm. if you imagine a up and to the right kind of graph, what COVID did is it dropped down real quick and then it spiked demand. So this 10, 15 years of future demand got slammed way back up here and it spiked mm-hmm. and it stayed up there for a couple of years. And then it fell back down to where it just about would have been if COVID never happened. Right. So we're still back on that trend line. Well, Amazon and, and others like Amazon, but they're, they're the poster child sure. of this. They brought all this new supply onto the market, occupied it, paid high rents, you know, industrial with that kind of, you know, they were in the expansion phase for a couple of years during COVID. And there was a point in time, according to Dr. Miller, that all of industrial space in every market in the United States was at equilibrium. That's right. Yeah. Last and, quarter, right? And I don't remember when exactly it was, but um, but that has changed now and it's cooled off a little bit. It It's still doing awesome, mm-hmm. but it has definitely come back to earth a little bit. So, yeah. Um, but read me his question again. Sure. But I was thinking about what you said about the product type moving back. Would an event like COVID move markets in both directions? Industrial, because of the demand for online purchases, the industrial product mm-hmm. makes the what market we phase mm-hmm. move back towards expansion. And similarly, the office and retail market to move toward recession. Okay. So I guess the opposite. So a lot of it depends on where the where it was in the market cycle when COVID hit in the first place. But let's just say, you know, I, I think I agree with the, the guy's premise here. COVID sent different product types going in different directions, mm-hmm. like throwing a stick of dynamite 
into in a river, river. Right. it's going to send water in all different directions. So for industrial, you know, it took off. For office, you know, it had the opposite effect. Like COVID sent everybody home and it it just sucked all kinds of demand out of all these markets. Yeah. And office is still a big mess. Like yeah. people still don't know how how is office going to be used. We're still probably another couple of years away from understanding how that's going to equalize. Mm -hmm. I actually just, just saw a video of Warren Buffett talking about commercial real estate. Oh, yeah? And how it's going to be like by 2027. I wanted to ask you about it, actually. We'll, we'll save that for another time. Or but, yes, uh, and retail kind of bifurcate, bifurcated. So the regional malls were already hurting. COVID crushed it. Grocery-anchored retail centers did great during COVID. Oh, right. Because they were an essential mm -hmm. thing. They remained open. People needed food. Mm -hmm. And any of the, and, and it just got a lot more traffic. And now what I think is going to do fantastic in 2024 is these neighborhood centers, like these unanchored neighborhood strip centers, because people are still at home more right. than they were. Right. And they shop close to where they're at home. But the world has opened back up and people want to get out. They don't want to do all their buying online. And so right. these neighborhood convenience type strip centers, mm -hmm. are, I think are going to, they're doing well now and I think they're going to continue to do well in 2024. But grocery anchored stuff did great during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but the malls, some of the bigger box stuff did not, did not do well. Yeah. It was yeah. already going down. Mm -hmm. Great question. Thanks for the question. Next question. And I like this one. Next question. Yeah. Great. <laughs> this, <laughs> so talented. <laughs> so talented. Uh, this one comes from Katie Kessling. Actually, ah, yeah. Cuz. Uh, cuz. Hey, cuz. Um, and I like this question a lot because I think this is, this is a question for people that are interested in investing and looking to put their money somewhere. And I was thinking about this today, even before seeing this. I was thinking about if somebody, you know, a rel say a relative passes away and all of a sudden I've got money in my account that I've never had before. Um, that maybe I knew it was coming at some point. Maybe I had no idea it was coming, but all of a sudden I got this money. It's like, well, what do I do with this? I wanted to grow, I wanted to invest. I was going to ask you a question similar to this, but here it is. What is important to look for or think about when looking for an investment property? Mm. And I think we could do a whole episode on this too, but. We probably could, but that's a, that's a great question. Yeah. There's a couple things to think about. One is like, how involved do you want to be when you own it? Mm -hmm. So buying it's one thing, but after you buy it, you got to, now you own it and it's, it's your responsibility. So how involved do you want to be in the management of what you're going to buy? And there's a, a big spectrum. Mm -hmm. So imagine you buy a 40 unit apartment complex. Yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 40, 40 unit apartment complex. Where were you at there? No, 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 I, no <laughs> there's 40 potential tenants who have your number as the owner and when the refrigerator breaks mm. or the toilet gets stopped up or whatever they're calling you. Do you want that amount of work? All right. If not, you can hire a property management company to take that all off your plate. You're going to pay them to do it. But something like a, a multifamily investment, if you're going to buy apartments, that's pretty management intensive. You need to be ready to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you need to be ready to hire a property management company to do, you for, to do it for you. On the other end of the spectrum, if you buy a warehouse that's leased to one single tenant on a triple net basis, 
You remember what triple net means? Yes. All yes, the expenses um, pass on to the tenant. Yes. Okay. So essentially, pass through. Pass through is yeah. more. But yeah, they pass on to them. Pass mm-hmm. through. But in this scenario, if the roof starts to leak, the tenant will just fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a true triple net lease, uh, HVC goes out. Tenant's responsibility. Uh, grass getting mowed. Tenant's responsibility. And so an owner of that type of property has very, very little management mm-hmm. once they own it. We had a woman one time who was selling a, a portfolio of single-family rentals. And so she had a bunch of single houses, and her income was variable. Mm. Uh, she got a lot of maintenance calls, you know, and she wanted to simplify her life and travel more. So we helped her sell that portfolio and then buy... Uh, single tenant net lease properties, more like the other example, right? So that she knew exactly what her rent was going to be, and whatever happened to the property was the tenant's responsibility. So she, it just totally simplified her life. The other thing is like, what do you like? You know, you may find find that you really like apartments, or you really like retail properties, and so you would just prefer to to own one of those versus a different property type. That would be something to look at. Another is just the numbers of the deal. If you're going to buy something that's more on the non-management mailbox money side where you have no responsibilities, you're going to pay more for those and you're going to get less of a return. It's more stable. It's less risky. Therefore, you're going to get less of a return on your investment. Mm -hmm. So if you want stability, you can still make a pretty good return over here, but it's going to be less than if you buy something like we're looking at a deal right now. If we buy it, we're going to spend a significant amount of money and work and time probably over the first year to 18 months stabilizing the property. Right. It's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a lot of money on the front end. Once we get it stabilized, it should be a great deal. And for that amount of work and that amount of risk, I expect a higher return than I would for something on the other side that's just more mailbox money. So what, what are your... Investment goals. Are you trying to make 8% return on your money? Um, you know, are you looking for 15%, 20% over five or more? Years. Which know, would be double? 15% over five, over five years, you're going to double your money just uh-huh. about every five years. Yeah, right, right, 15. Right. Thank you, Dr. Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Jeff. I didn't have to do math, just memorize what he said. That's right. Mm-hmm. So there's those are some of the things. You know, another thing to look at is geography. I think most of what we own uh, is very close to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that is because, you know, this is where we find opportunities. Uh, I know this market better than any other. I'm very comfortable here. But, you know, some people want to diversify geographically speaking. And so mm-hmm. that's a, something to consider as well. But, you know, I would say for somebody who's investing f- for the first time in commercial real estate, mm-hmm. the amount of involvement you want once you own it is probably the first and biggest question to answer. Okay. Can I throw something at you though? Yes. Okay. Here's a scenario. Okay. I, um, I am in that spot that I described before. I got some money. I want to do something with it. I'm not interested in commercial real estate per se, but I am interested in putting my money in commercial real estate. Did you just say I'm not interested in commercial real estate, but I do want to put my money in commercial real estate? Yeah. Can do you, can I explain that? Yeah. Cause I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when you put together syndication deals, you're going to a doctor or that's or a lawyer or somebody 
that may not be interested in commercial real estate, but they're interested in investing in commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Do you see the difference? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess the succinct question is, what's the most passive way to do it? And if I wanted to throw my name in the hat to you, to be like, I know Bo, right? Or I'm listening to this podcast. I got some money. How would I throw my ring in the hat? So when you have an investment deal come up, how can I contact you? How can I throw my ring, my name hat in, in the, the ring? ring? Yeah. How hat can I throw ring. my hat in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> name in the hat? Hat in the, the ring in the hat. Right. <laughs> so, I, yeah. And if I don't know somebody like you, two different scenarios. I know you. How do I throw my hat in the ring? And the other one is, I want to throw my hat in some ring. How do I find that ring? Yeah. So if you know me or somebody like me who will put these group investments together mm-hmm. and you want, you want to take a look at the next deal that I do or somebody likes me, just say, hey, next time you put a deal together, I'd love to take a look at it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's all it is. Because at that point, we're going to start vetting each other, mm-hmm. right? So you're going you're gonna to look at me and my track record. Can Bo do what he says he does? Does he have a track record where he makes his partner's money, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. You got to get comfortable with me because that is probably the most passive way to invest in a deal is you give it to somebody who's good at this and you right. trust them to make you money. Right. And you can drive by and say, okay, that property right there, I own a piece of that. I'm an mm-hmm. owner, but you have no responsibility and no authority, mm-hmm. right? You're right. literally just trusting the guy running the deal. Mm-hmm. Now on the flip side, if I'm the guy running the deal, I need to make sure you fit the profile of a good investor, that you're comfortable with the idea that you have no responsibility and no authority. And there's a, you could watch this episode to figure out um, the different types of investors or kinds of investors, what not to be. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Yeah. If you want to find people like me, then, and I might just start with a Google search and you could say, you know, search for, um, general partners, syndicators, sponsors of group investment deals, and just see what you can find. There's mm-hmm. a lots of people who do mm-hmm. this yeah. uh, in just about every market. Yeah. And so it, it would just be, you know, and if you're connected in that market at all, you can probably just ask around call a real estate attorney mm-hmm. uh, in your town. They're going to know uh, who that is. And then, you know, just do the normal uh, soft skill stuff of finding somebody, making an introduction and building a relationship. Yeah. You know? On average, because I know this is different every time, but on average, how much or how little can I put in? Like, wh- what can I expect if this is my first time? Can I throw $10,000, throw my n- hat in the ring with you? And be like, hey, I got $10,000 I can throw in. Is that too little? Like, on average, what? Most deals have a minimum investment. So the last two that we did, I think the minimum investment was $50,000. Now, that's the way I do a deal where I'm trying to take a relatively small amount of people, raise a relatively significant amount of money. So, you know, if I took $10,000 a pop, I'm going to have a lot of people yeah. to manage in the group. So I try to keep things uh, pretty small. I mm-hmm. think the average investor in our last deal put in $100,000. Oh, okay. So, uh, but there are also real, real estate investment trusts or REITs. We essentially buy stock in a fund. Oh, yeah. And you can do it at much smaller increments. Right. You know, it might have a fund that specializes in, you know, self-storage properties like mm-hmm. public storage is a REIT. Mm-hmm. They're the world's largest self-storage owners, and you can buy in to 
you know, these REITs and yeah. invest smaller amounts of money. Essentially like buying into a mutual fund. Right. But the fund itself is investing in real estate as opposed to, you know, different stocks and, yeah. and different companies like yeah. that. But, okay, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. There you go, Katie. Yeah. There Thanks go, for Katie. the question. Um, that was helpful for, to me too, because I'm one of those. Okay. Last one, which I'm excited about this, because this is like, we can watch something and yeah. you g- give us your thoughts. So we're going to take a look at the All In podcast. W- will you tell our viewers very briefly what you said to me about what the All In podcast, like that brief, you know, wh- what is it? The All In podcast is, and I don't know these guys' names, but during COVID, these uh, venture fund uh, Silicon Valley types, they, they created a podcast. Probably so they could hang out and just talk about stuff, and uh, seemingly it went really well. They've got you know almost four hundred thousand subscribers on their YouTube channel, so I would say it's going well. Yeah, a couple of them helped Elon Musk buy Twitter. Like we're involved in that purchase, we're kind of in his Elon uh, inner circle. Yeah, and what I was mentioning before is uh, I just listened to a podcast the last couple of days about Elon buying Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about once the sale went through, a lot of the employees didn't know what was going on. And they would listen to the All In podcast where some of Elon's inner circle were talking about what they were doing in Twitter. And that's how some of the employees got their information about what was going on. Wow. Because at the front end, like communication wasn't great. Right. Um, So, yeah, that was kind of interesting yeah that's cool we're listening to a segment uh episode 142 because we got or i got um troy troy uh daniel smith sent this to me and wanted your thoughts on it okay um and just to read his question out loud mm-hmm. there we go yeah mm-hmm. yo would love to hear Bo's in your... Th- oh, he wanted my thoughts, too. You got yeah. it, Troy. On uh, commercial real estate slash multifamily mentioned on this All In podcast. All right, here we go. Commercial real estate side. Ah, there, there we an go. an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about distress funds are forming in anticipation of a lot of commercial real estate projects mm. basically going under. So the vultures on Wall Street are going to be looking to scoop up these projects. I think the really interesting thing about commercial real estate right now is multifamily. Until now, the conversation has all been about office space. And we know that office space is impaired because of the high vacancy rates that this this sector just hasn't come back the same way since COVID, right? Exactly. But now we're starting to see real distress. All right, let's pause it there. Okay. I think Troy's asking about my thoughts on what they're talking about commercial real estate wise with apartments. Think about this during COVID, you know, interest rates completely bottomed out. I mean, they were as low as I've ever heard of. Yeah. You know, not just by a lifetime, but like ever. I've never heard of interest rates being that low. So money was basically free. Well, what about like the the beginning of the the, uh, housing bubble? Wouldn't they have been low then? Yeah, but not this low. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So money was really, you know, people talk about, borrowing money as it was basically free right like the interest rates were so low that's what warren buffett was talking about by the way oh yeah the bubble the bubble or a bubble mm-hmm. or that was the headline anyway i got you yeah so what's happening now especially with multifamily, is there's all this all this development 
during COVID, uh, you know, expansion phase type stuff, rents were going up aggressively. And so to a developer, if rents are going up and I'm going to build, mm-hmm. you know, rents support new construction. Well, now you have these construction loans that are all, a lot of them are interest only and they're, they're low. And as the building was happening over the last, say, year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. what happened to the interest rates? Up and up and up and up. And so now that it's time to refinance into permanent financing, once these uh, properties are built and leased up, mm-hmm. it's like three or four times more expensive mm-hmm. than it was when they started the project. And so now you got a problem where you know, you're paying a lot more in annual debt service than you anticipated. Uh, the rents are there. Most of the time, the occupancy's there. But with interest rates going up, cap rates go up as well. Mm-hmm. And so the value of the property isn't there. So loan-to-values have to be corrected. And so you got a lot of these people that are refinancing into permanent construction or they're a, the loan they took out five years ago with lower interest rate, they have to refinance now. A lot of times when you hear cash out, I'm going to refinance, I'm going to take some of my equity out mm-hmm. and use it to buy a boat or whatever. Right. Well, some of these people are having to put equity in just to refinance. Right. Well, let's hear some more of what this guy has to say. Okay, great. In the multifamily sector. Now, why has this happened? Because multifamily is full. There's no vacancy problem. Yeah, we, it's hard to get a home. And more people would be renting if mortgages right. are high. So the problem is why not on the demand is. side. The problem is in the capital yeah. stack. So let me describe uh-huh. the, the problem of what's happened here is, let's say that you are a uh, real estate developer who bought multifamily. You bought it at a certain price level. Let's say you financed it two-thirds with debt. Mm-hmm. You now need to go out and refinance that project because let's say you did a value add. Let's say you, you basically did some improvements to it. That means you didn't put long-term debt on it. You can't put long-term debt on a project that's not stabilized yet. If you want to do value-add work to it, you get what's called a construction loan for two or three years. So there's a lot of real estate developers who need to go out right now and finance these projects that they bought. And they bought these projects at the top of the market. So let's say you're going out now to refinance. First of all, the rates are much higher. You're looking at paying 8 or 9% instead of the 3 to 4% that you had penciled in your model a couple of years ago. A banker told me yesterday on a deal we're looking at that the rate would be seven and a quarter. Like okay. that's what I'd be looking at on, on a particular deal right now. Yeah. So just for context. Moreover, there's another problem, okay. which is potentially even worse, which is loan to value. You had basically gotten two thirds loan to value a couple of years ago, but values were much higher. Now values are lower because again, multiples have shrunk as interest rates have gone up. And so he's basically talking about cap rates have gone up, interest rates have gone up. Um, so values have gone down. Yeah. Okay. He, he said it in terms of multiples, but that's mm-hmm. basically the same thing. So the amount that you can finance is much lower. So you either have to top that off by coming out of pocket with your own equity, which is a cash in refinance. Yeah. Okay. Or you have to go to one of these mezzanine funds. So now and there's they are these sharks. funds, yeah. they are total sharks and they're going to charge you not eight or nine percent, but like fifteen percent. So your capital stack has basically completely upside down. You thought that you could borrow all this money really cheaply, but now it is super expensive. And this project no longer pencils, meaning Mm. you're underwater from a you've got negative leverage on the project. You're gonna see again, not just impaired office space, now impaired multifamily. 
And there is not, I think, a sector of real estate developer who is not in distress right now if they need financing in the next year or two. That's what? Yeah, and that's a, uh, that's a very real thing. So, like, we have some land listings here in town that I fully expect to s sit there. Like, it doesn't matter what we do. Anybody who's developing anything right now, it's way more expensive to just borrow the money. Mm-hmm. Not to mention construction costs are up. Everything about creating something new is way more expensive. And so like I've seen a big pullback on any kind of new developments mm -hmm. uh, on the commercial side, at least. There's very little of that going on. And uh, so, yeah, I would generally agree. And this affects office. It affects multifamily. It, ex it affects retail. Um, I don't have anything I need to refinance over the next couple of years. And thank the Lord, that's true. I mean, mm -hmm. holy moly. Yeah. It would be painful. Yeah. Ah, you like even your last, your last, uh, investment that strips like just right at the perfect time. It seemed like it was right after we did that deal right after the second interest rate hike. Yeah. So my interest rate on that deal is 4.19. Oh my God. Yeah. Which at the time I was like, man, I couldn't get a three handle on this I thing, know. you know, <laughs> like the one before it had. Yeah. So I think that's, that one's like 3.49 or something. Right. And, and now I'm thinking, man, 4.19 sounds amazing. Yeah, it sounds so good. And I looked it up the other day just to see how much more term I had on it, you know, and yeah. I'd forgotten that's a seven year term instead of a five. <laughs> so I've got it for even longer. What? I'm like, Huh, this is nice. Yeah, yeah. Good. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're about halfway through. Let's see what else he has to say. Yeah, yeah. That's what do you, what get, do you, you get a do? better rate from Hesh? <laughs> right. David, David, yeah. what do you what do you do if you're long these assets? Do you just default on them and just give them back to the bank? One major real estate guy told me that the, the big guys like, you know, Blackstone. Okay, so yeah, what happens if you find yourself in this situation yeah. and uh, you're underwater? Like you don't have the equity to put in to refinance it, right? Right, and you can't pay it off, and you can't get it sold because the value's not there. What do you do? Well, I think uh, one scenario that I think they're going to talk about: what do you just give it back to the bank, where you just hand the keys over to the bank and walk away? Right. And now it's your problem. Like I've lost, right? The deal right. failed, but these larger deals are almost all non-recourse financing CMBS loans anyway. And so you're not liable for any of your personal stuff. Right. So right. they're not going to make means? me, they're not going to come take my house or right. other investments or whatever. They just take the, they just take the property right. and you just give it back. Well, uh, there's a lot of problems. Like one is uh, tax implications can be brutal for you if you do that. But banks don't like to own real estate. Would you agree? They hate to own real estate. They have REO departments, real estate owned, and they want nothing in those departments. That, hey, right? That's why we're in a bank fault, right? So what I think is going to happen over the next couple of years, because we've got big, big numbers of, of deals that are coming due over the next 18 months to right. refinance, and they're, gonna be, they're all going to be hurting. Yeah. And the banks don't want to own all these. And the owners, some of them will like put in the work, put in the money, and try to save their deals because at the end of every downturn is an upturn. Like mm -hmm. they, if they can ride it out, they should be okay. Some of these will want to give it back, but the banks won't want they won't want it back. So what they'll do is extend the loan. 
and kind of blend it over time so they don't have to take it back. So I think we're going to see a lot of these workouts, but they won't all work that way. Yeah. And we've got commercial real estate companies. I had a call with a, uh, uh, a buddy of mine in Louisiana earlier today, and he was talking about how they're prospecting banks. They're going after banks so that when they get these properties back, they can turn around and list them with my buddy's firm and, and they would, you know, they're going after the REO departments at these banks. Oh, smart. Yeah. So let's see what, what their take is on this. Um, he, the words he used was they are throwing their keys mm. at the bank, meaning they are so underwater, they're not even going to bother trying to figure out a workout. They're just going to give the key. They're just going to say to the bank, you own this asset now, and they're going to move on to the next fund. There's actually that was his take at least. That was his you take. You sent a tweet to the group chat about uh, the last line of like hope, which was called a hope note, which is like where one of these mez financiers just takes your property, and then if they happen to hit your high water mark again later on, that you would get that uh, you would get some, you know, idiot insurance and get a little taste of the the sale. Chamak, you had a tweet about the housing. Then what's your take? Well, no, my only thought around housing was that very much just supporting what Sachs just said, like we're in an incredibly untenable situation, mostly because as rates go up, mortgage applications go down. And so what you're seeing is just like the number of people trying to transact is very small. And so the inventory is very small. And so Sachs said it well. So I, I don't really have much to add, except that when you think about where this lands squarely in terms of the wealth creation that it's supposed to represent for most Americans. It's a very it's difficult situation. It's frozen, and yeah. this is, I actually think the, like people frozen. talk about the political pressure from the White House to Let the Fed. And I think that this actually is probably a very powerful lens with which to look at it. And the reason is because this touches all voters in every state across. Yeah, yeah, he goes, it does, I, I yeah. think that's... <sighs> that touches all voters in every state. <laughs> kind of went Kermit the Frog there, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Yeah, maybe that's how he always is. <laughs> that's even better. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a little bit, yeah, but uh, Kermit but, the Frog here. <laughs> Hi, Hi hallelujah. <laughs> that's how I always get into that voice. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> Jeff, what's his name? The guy who wrote that song? Hi, hallelujah. That's a what of cartoons sang worship songs or whatever. Chris, I thought it was Jeff. Anyway, anyway, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I think these guys generally know what they're talking about, and I think, you know, like I said a minute ago, I think it'll be really interesting to see how the banks handle people trying to throw their keys back at them because they're so underwater on these properties and if they try to work it out as opposed to taking the properties back. Right. That's going to be painful for these banks. Yeah. Yep. And, the, and and it, is the biggest consequence is like some of the tax, you said it was taxes. Well, and, you know, other than like it didn't work out. Here any, are the keys. Anytime know. there's liability that's forgiven, you're taxed on that. It's called phantom income. So... Some of the way these play out for the person who's giving the property back, mm -hmm. if there's debt that's forgiven in part of that process, they're taxed on that as phantom income. Oh. And it can hammer people and they don't see it coming. Like they don't necessarily understand that that's going to happen. So, uh, well, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> you thought you were good. And now you owe half a million dollars to Uncle Sam. Yeah. Happy yeah. tax season. 
Good luck. Cool. Well, before we before we go off, I did. Uh, let me just get your reaction real quick okay. on what Warren Buffett said here. All right. Um, uh, he has a message for commercial real estate owners who are getting squeezed by rising interest rates and CMBS loans coming due. We should have uh, Tripwire back on. Um, Lonnie. Hinter. Lonnie. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, where we were then and where we are now, it would be great. Uh it's time to feel the pain. He said they should lose money if people if people borrow on commercial real estate and now the loans are getting extended too bad. That's part of borrowing 100%, I don't know his voice, margin, which is what people were doing. Warren Buffett said the Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting on Saturday. Um, you've so got to have the penalties hit the people who caused the problems. Yeah. So he's yeah, he's basically saying, yeah, that's the risk. And if it goes bad, you ought to pay. Right. Yeah. Yep. If you're going to change how people are going to behave in the future, give penalties to those who cause problems. Who caused the problems? The CMBS loaners? Oh, I think there's probably blame to go around. Right. People borrowing all that they can, they discount the risk they're taking on when they borrow. Right. Right. So they're to blame. Lenders lending money to people that shouldn't be getting that much on a deal or you know just there was this frothy deal frenzy in the market and so just need to do deals need to get this money out there get to put this money in like they might have they might should have been more conservative right but they wouldn't have been able to do well like why were they able to do that though because of the well think about it this way say i'm a bank you're a bank and dustin you're a bank Okay, three you guys, three different banks, and you guys are doing deals with anybody. You've got capital. You want to put it out there. Everybody's wanting to do deals, and you guys are being aggressive, and you're putting the money in play, and you're moving fast, fast, fast. Let's say I want to be more conservative. I want to look harder at the deals. I want to want to make sure we're making good loans. Well, you guys are going to beat me out on every single deal. Mm. And so some banks didn't do nearly as well during the frenzy because they were a little bit more conservative. They were counting the cost. They were doing their due diligence. They, and they missed out. Um, and so the banks that were more aggressive, that maybe didn't consider the risk, didn't consider that the future could go bad, mm. they should pay. And mm-hmm. I think that's what, what Warren's saying there. Right, right. That makes sense. Yep. All right, cool, cool, cool. I should say, Mr. Buffett. Mr. Yes, Let me Mr. call him Warren like we're on a first name basis. Hey, That's Warren. Crazy. Yeah. I, I call him Moore. <laughs> Mr. What's up, War? Mr. Buffett. <laughs> What's sir. up, War? Just call him Sir. Um, let's call him Sir. Okay, cool. Well, there's your questions. If you got any questions, please send them to us. Put them in the comments right now. We we love answering questions. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love That's it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, thank you to Dustin. Dustin at, Taylor. At, wait, at what? I said Dustin Taylor. Funky love. Funky luck. Funky luck. Funky luck. <laughs> yeah. Funky luck. Cool. Yeah. Play me a little something. Um, y'all, we're now in the studio. Our production looks a little bit higher. We are knuckling down. We've got to, we're, you know, coming around to episode number 30. We're going to take a look and, and see what the future looks like. Subscribe. If you know anybody else that's into commercial real estate, uh, please share this, uh, uh, write a review on wherever you listen to the podcast that helps us out a great deal. And this helps get this 
information to, to, to more and more people. It just helps in this world here. Um, and thank you. Thanks for watching. Okay. Cool. Bye. Bye. Bye, Alice. <laughs>